Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Department 12 podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Butina, and joining me this episode is Michael Vaudianet. Uh, I did that wrong, didn't I? Vaudianoy. <laughs> did you it's say it? Michael Vaudianoy. I, I said it Vaudianet. <laughs> Somehow, even though I wrote it phonetically, I still said oh, yeah. it wrong. And I'm going to leave this in the episode just to prove to everyone what a schmuck I am. So I'm your host, who is terrible with last names, and my guest is Michael, who uh, is now going to tell us a little bit about himself. So where did you go to school and what did you go to school for, Michael? Sure. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Michael Vodianoy. Um, and uh, so I went to school at Hofstra uh, University in New York, um, originally from Toronto. And uh, while I was at Hofstra doing my degree, uh, I also worked at a consulting firm called E. Rogers Associates. Um, and we did all sort of the typical... IO stuff that you would think of, um, leadership development, executive coaching, training, uh, all those sorts of good things. Um, after I graduated, I moved back to Toronto. Um, around that same time, I had my son, Daniel, uh, and sort of through a set of serendipitous events, um, ended up at a software company called Advance Pro, uh, basically building out their marketing and communications. Um, I've been there now going on about two years um, and uh, have really sort of uh, diverged somewhat in terms of my day-to-day, focusing less on IO and, and more so on the business and business development. And, um, you know, through that period of time, I've been uh, sort of keeping my foot in the IO world, um, continually engaging with the community and thinking about things and, and now writing about some some of the uh, challenges around marketing IO as well. And I'm also excited to, to mention just as of a couple of days ago, I joined the science for work team uh, to help them manage their marketing communications. Oh, very cool. I love science for work. So part of what you do um, as part of your sort of trying to, to help us understand about communications and marketing is I understand you gave a talk not too long ago. Can you tell us what that was about? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was fortunate to have the opportunity to talk to uh, the Toronto IO Network. We have uh, annually a big summit event. We have speakers and uh, sort of a range of topics. So um, I had a chance to put some thoughts together um, related to what I perceive as some of the challenges with uh, marketing as an IO psychologist and uh, sort of communicating like what we do and who we are. Um, and w- one of the reasons I kind of came onto that, uh, idea was, um, you know, when I, I did my degree in New York, um, and I, I got the sense that IO was like a growing field. I never really encountered too much confusion when I would tell somebody what I was doing. Uh, but that kind of all changed when I moved back. Um, and I was surprised I was doing job interviews and I was saying, yeah, I, IO psychology. And they're like, well, what's that? And I was like kind of unprepared and struggled to articulate it. So I was able to uh, put some ideas together and, and present on that. Um, okay. Yeah. So I, it sounds like what we have out there is brand confusion. And, and I would guess that, you know, in the area around like Hofstra where you were going to school, probably, you know, it's a pretty white collar area. A lot of people are going to be familiar with the term, but I think that probably we have about the same level of confusion anywhere in flyover country in the U S that you probably saw in Canada. It's not, I don't think it's not well understood. It's, 
super long name. I forget how many syllables, but it's just like a ridiculously long name. And I think you're on to something with the idea of the brand here. So I, when I think of a brand, I think of like Nike, Apple, and then, you know, what are the the kind of stories and feelings and ideas and memories associated with those brand names? Um, so what do you think the brand is for IO psychology? What are you hearing out there? So that's a good question. And for the purpose of this talk, uh, I sort of dove into some of the literature on branding and uh, consumer psychology and how people associate with brands. And uh, there's tons of literature on it. And one of the things that I sort of zeroed in on was um, through the process uh, of engaging with a brand, the first step that people go through is just being able to identify a brand. And within that, uh, typically there's uh, certain levels. So at the most basic level is just, if you have a brand, do you know how to categorize it? Right. If you Mm -hmm. think about Apple, right. You think about a technology company or Nike, you think about athletic and footwear. Um, so at that sort of very basic level, if somebody has trouble putting you into a category, uh, very likely they're not really going to engage with you at all. They're probably not going to remember you. So, um, that was sort of one of the things I wanted to zero in on in my presentation was um, I think even at a very fundamental level, we struggle and I didn't want to focus too much on the name IO psychology because the truth is a brand uh, doesn't need to be perfectly descriptive of what it is, but to the extent that it causes some confusion, even at the most basic level, uh, it starts to cause some problems uh, down the road. Okay. So what, um, so when somebody hears IO psychology for the first time and they don't have a sort of mental bucket to drop it in, they probably go, oh, okay, psychology or psychologist. And, and what, what is the brand of psychologist in, in people's minds out there? Yeah, so that's, I think, exactly how people think of it, um, especially when you slap, a, you know, industrial slash organizational, which doesn't necessarily intrinsically mean anything to people when they hear it. So they sort of immediately go to psychologist and start to categorize from there. So uh, when I, I ran this exercise in the presentation, I said, well, what's the uh, the brand categorization of a psychologist? And, you know, the general consensus was, well, it's a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what do you associate it with? Well, a couch and a cardigan and therapy, right? And and all of those types of things. And, uh, and, and I think a lot of people listening to this might be able to relate to that, uh, that sort of misconception that we get into. Uh, so one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about in that context was, uh, well, we're very different from a lot of those ideas in very important ways, especially when we're going out into the business world and, you know, essentially tackling business related problems in a way that people wouldn't think of a psychologist doing. Uh, they're thinking about psychologists as a therapist, as a mental health worker, where we think of psychology as sort of the scientific study of like human nature. Uh, so it's a bit of a different bit of a different idea. But I think to the extent that uh, we do overlap with psychology um, and people's sort of built-in conceptions of psychologists, um, we can start to weave in a narrative that might help people categorize us. So the things that come to mind for me are um, the way that we treat assessments and feedback and coaching. I think in a lot of ways, there's some real overlap there. If somebody's had experience with psychologists in the past, they might kind of understand, well, I, you know, uh, 
assess people's engagement. Uh, I, I assess uh, the way people think about performance and give feedback for development. So to the extent that we can weave in uh, narratives around uh, sort of supporting the psychologist brand, I think we'll help ourselves uh, in that process. Okay. So one of the things that I, that I, that I think even I struggled with when I first started stu- studying IO psychology is that there's an awful lot of IO psychologists that don't do anything like what you're describing. They're, they're like in a room somewhere with R or SPSS and they are cranking out numbers and coming up with reports and slide decks based on those reports. And then there's other people doing just like completely different things too. So how is it that you think, how does assessment sort of connect to all those people or does it? Well, it definitely doesn't in every case. Uh, So, uh, you know, definitely to the extent that it does, you can weave that in. But obviously in lots of cases, you're not going to have that opportunity. So uh, definitely if you're working with something that's maybe more typically business focused, like people think about maybe change management, um, you may not have the opportunity. You may have be going down a path where people could get really confused when you use the word psychology. So um, yeah. now I don't necessarily want to advocate for like large scale change necessarily. My only intention was to just give people an idea of maybe where we stand, like as, as right. in- individuals and branding ourselves. Um, but I think uh, generally speaking, so at the beginning of the presentation, I asked people to raise their hands if they uh, typically just identify themselves explicitly using the words industrial organizational psychology. And not many do, I think. <laughs> we don't have time. You don't even have time to type all that every time. <laughs> no. And I think the people that did raise their hands maybe were just trying to uh, you know, tell people that they actually do. But I think the number is even less. But uh, I think typically if somebody is doing IO psychology, so first of all, saying I.O. is like totally a non-option, but right away people will drop industrial. It's just too long and, you know, mm-hmm. you'll say organizational psychology or you'll just completely diverge and say something like work psychology, like, you know, we're called in some right. other parts of the world. So, yeah. um, you know, I think that uh, I hesitate to say that you shouldn't use I.O. psychology because to the extent that people aren't using it, we're, we don't really have ambassadors for the brand and we're never really going to build it up. But um, I think you do need to consider, um, you know, for, for example, most people's job titles don't explicitly include right. IO psychology. So you don't have to yeah. uh, associate with the brand explicitly, at least at first. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's kind of akin to like if you met somebody in a workplace and you ask them what they did and they said they were an MBA, you'd say, OK, I, I know you're an MBA. But what What is your job? Like, what does it you actually do here? So they yeah. would say an office space. And I think. You know, outside of academia, you're, you're right. I think you know, uh, and some maybe some consulting firms, people don't put IO psychologist in their email signature because they have some other job with some other job title. But that there's still a um, a sense of professional identity that hopefully we can keep alive through, you know, membership in professional organizations. Maybe you know, a podcast like this helps a little bit in that area. But I think the uh, the kind of like. Uh, Uh, I'm trying to think of a, a good way to put this, but I think the fact that the brand is kind of split or diverse, you know, that starts like from the very beginning. Um, for most of the listeners that we have here, you probably went to a residential uh, college or graduate school. And, you know, right away people start talking about, are you on the I side or the O side or, you know, the people side or the number side? 
And having gone online for my PhD, I didn't know what the hell anybody was talking about there. You know, I didn't realize I had to pick a side. It was like red versus blue out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you can meet so many different people. And that, actually, one of the things I like about the field is that you can do so much with it. Most of my career has been in training and development. And now I'm doing more employee selection stuff as well. But uh, it's it's a puzzle to people what exactly this means. Um, and I think insofar as I do run across people who know what it means or they think they know what it means, the brand to them is employee selection because they, you know, they've worked for somebody or they have uh, contracted out with an IO psychology firm that does testing or employee selection or interviews and that kind of thing. So it's would be really interesting. And I'm sure that the research has been done at some point in the history of PSYOP about this name, but it would be really interesting to know what that brand is, if anything. Yeah, um, well, it's, it's an interesting point. I mean, uh, one of the things, again, for my presentation, there was a lot of back and forth. And, uh, you know, so this is sort of maybe an informal way to gather data. But um, one of the sense that I got was that not only do we have a weak brand in terms of how people see us, but internally, like you're talking about, there's a lot of confusion. Uh, like I said, when I uh, had to really sell myself for the first time as an IO psychologist, uh, I really struggled to put it together in a way that kind of made sense. Um, so, you know, it's definitely a challenge. And um, when I was thinking about uh, some of the barriers that maybe we have, and me personally, one of the challenges I had getting into uh, more of a pure marketing uh, role is that um, I kind of think like a scientist. Uh, and I think a lot of IO psychologists would relate to that. And to me, what that means is, being very process oriented, uh, very particular, very nuanced. And it's like kind of the exact opposite of what a good marketer would do. Right. So we get hung up on all of the different variables and the different areas in IO psychology. But from a marketing point of view, uh, none of that is really needed. You know, it's, it's not like you've been successful in marketing yourself if the person understands every single detail of what an IO psychologist actually does. Right. Um, so I think uh, one of the things that I've been trying to work on is just train myself to be uh, not so verbose, um, to really put myself in the shoes of the person listening and try and convey the message that they need to hear and understand, as opposed to, um, you know, giving them a, a TED talk on IO psychology and all the different elements. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And it kind of ties to an episode I had a few weeks ago about you know, how we communicate or how we can communicate and uh, the fact that, you know, we're trained to use a lot of hedging language. Um, you know, like it may be this, could be that, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of don't want to put a, a flag in the ground because, um, you know, all of our, all of our conclusions, at least our empirical conclusions are, are probabilistic and, you know, we're not trying to put a yes or no out there, but all of that stuff, I, I'm boring myself even saying this because when all of that stuff is not something that the average person wants to hear. They need to hear, you know, a, a more simplified version of it that gets across the main idea that's easy for them to understand, doesn't make them feel stupid, doesn't give them a lot of information that they don't need to your point uh, and that they can, you know, give them something to hang their hat on. Um, you know, when you think about Nike, you think about like, you know, basketball, Air Jordans, uh, athletics, you know, you hear that word. Oh, it gives me something to hang my hat on. I don't know that much about shoes. I don't need to know that much about shoes. 
but I know that that brand Nike is associated with that. When I think of Apple, I think of design. I don't know all the internal workings of a smartphone. I don't know whether the processor is better, but I know that, you know, it's a well-designed product and that gives me something to hang my hat on. So, you know, to me, the the message of IO psychology, the, the thing that we could hang our hat on regardless of of what we do across all these different fields or all these different topics is that we use the scientific method. Whereas most uh, people that are working in business are, you know, they're going by their gut or, you know, they're just looking at a big pile of data or, you know, however they do it. Um, and their decisions might be, you know, more far reaching than ours. They can, you know, they have more uh, sort of leverage or, or room to, to make predictions and things like that. We use the scientific method as much as possible to make decisions and make recommendations for people to use. The upside of that is we can say things with more certainty than I think most others. And the downside is that there's a lot of things that we can't say with any certainty because there's just no data. There's no studies that have been done on it and things like that. Um, I guess that's kind of what goes through my head and that's what I would want to go through other people's heads. But I don't know if that's a good story or not. <laughs> right. Well, I, I think it's a, it's a good point. I think um, for the most part, uh, people who have gone through, you know, an IO psychology education would, would relate to that as sort of a core differentiator uh, between us and other people who might do work that looks similar to ours. Um, one thing, so I've uh, worked with uh, lately just a, a couple of uh, IO consulting firms and um, I, the way that people sell science often is a little tricky in itself. I mean, uh, it might seem self-evident that, hey, we you know, are rigorous and uh, have methods that can validate that what we're doing is uh, working or not working. And so we don't, we just say, well, you know, we're scientists and that's kind of what we do. And we think the value proposition is self-evident. But uh, I think mm. what I've tried to drive home a little bit is that um, consider that somebody is reaching out to you to solve a business problem um, what you're selling them is a really good approach to solving that problem. An approach that you can say with confidence is better than somebody uh, offering a similar approach without the you know, evidence. Uh, so ultimately, you're selling a process that works. And that's really more the value proposition. And it's important to uh, speak that out and be explicit. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's sort of the unique value proposition that we have is that hopefully we're we're making recommendations that are more, you know, empirically valid, scientifically valid. And I think, you know, we need to realize that although, you know, we think we have the right answer uh, to everyone else, we're just another voice in the marketplace of ideas and our ability to get people to act on, on what we can offer them does depend on us being good marketers, does depend on us being good communicators. Now, I read an article that you wrote uh, on LinkedIn, and I'm going to link to that in the show notes. And you mentioned a tool that you use that I actually also use, um, but I would like you to talk about it and, and why you use it and what it does. And it's called the Hemingway Editor. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. So the Hemingway Editor is this really cool tool that I stumbled on a little while ago. Um, and basically what it is, so, you know, you write an article or an email uh, in the way that you would typically write it. You would copy it into the Hemingway Editor screen. And it'll, it'll essentially start to pick out some of the, what you sort of mentioned is like the hedging language or, you know, extra words or uh, all of the traps that we fall into when we are um, being sort of overly nuanced and not direct. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, I found that it's you know helpful for me and uh, maybe a tool other people can use. And I think once you start to get into the habit of it, um, you start to get a little bit better at that. But uh, and it's not only in, in sort of I mean it's a great tool for for like the written word. Uh, but as you sort of develop that skill, it, it also maybe carries over to when you speak. Yeah, I think it's a great tool. And the best way I can uh, advertise it to folks, and, and by the way, it doesn't need to be advertised because it's free to use. But the best way I could advertise it is that if you want to sound like the opposite of how I'm coming off in this podcast, so if you want to get your rambling down and maybe cut your sentences back to you know a human length, the Hemingway editor will really help you do that. So Michael, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me.